Welcome to She's a 10 times 5. You got it. That's the big 5-0. Listen along as we try to figure out our what's next as we venture into this new age of reinvention. Through relatable topics, real-life stories, and inspiring guests, join us on our journey of growth and laughter. Hey, I'm Lori, former Army Airborne Captain, but don't let that fool you. I'm the loose cannon. And I'm Lisa, a girl's girl who loves sugar, but watch out for that spice. Let's do this. Hi, everyone. Welcome to She's a 10 Times 5. Hey, Lori. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I am just overwhelmed. <laughs> are you? It's, I am. Yeah. We were just saying that we took off, what, two and a half weeks, almost three weeks to, yeah. to do the verb of mother, right? We did. We did. And I'm still doing it. We are yeah. still doing it. We have just got a lot of life milestones going on as moms and our kids. Uh, and it's yeah. been all-encompassing, but fun at the same time. We well, have- I think this is appropriate to lead right into our topic for today, uh, because we have an amazing guest who really touches on a lot of things mom. And if, I think- If mom were an ocean, she would have boiled it by now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I love the title of her book. We'll get to that in a minute. But I just think that moms of kids any age, and especially where we are, we can look back and reflect- but we've all done so many of the things that she talks about, and and it's a big umbrella, and we're going to cover a lot of things under that motherhood umbrella today, like reducing self-talk, saying no more often, like setting boundaries, fitting you as in ourselves back into our lives, and and asking for help, which has never been easy for me, I know. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's easy for any of us, mm-hmm. just showing mm-hmm. that vulnerability and asking for help because we're the, the stoic Solve it all. Yeah, solve it all, yeah. and we can do anything. Right. All right. Without further ado, we got a hot shit guest in Studio <laughs> 50 today. I'm so excited. She's done such incredible things. This is Catherine Winch in Studio 50. She's a CEO, author, and speaker, and has dedicated her life to making the lives of mothers easier. Ding, ding. Thank you for that. In her role as founder and CEO of the Mom Complex, she helps the largest companies in the world, such as Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, and Wells Fargo, better understand and support their mom customers and employees. In her latest venture, Catherine combines 10 plus years of groundbreaking research on motherhood with her own personal journey in her popular book. Wait for it. Slay Like a Mother. Oh my God, I love that title. Woo! Woo! Okay, I got a little, do I, I got one of these for you, Kath. Okay, Parade Magazine recently named Slay Like a Mother one of the top 10 life-changing self-help books of the year, and Catherine's research has been featured by the Today Show, mm. one of our favorites, mm-hmm. the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Fast Company. Catherine is, okay, this is just not even fair. Here we go. Here we go. Wow. Catherine is a recipient of the Working Mother of the Year Award by the Advertising Women of New York, the Outstanding Women Award from the YWCA, and most recently, the Woman of the Decade Award from the Women's Economic Forum in India. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Yes. Welcome to Studio 50. You know, God, your bio speaks for itself. But what we like to do every episode is because we're a storytelling platform is kind of let you take a little bit of time and put your story out on the road and give us how you got from 
where you were to where you are today and what, why you're doing what you're doing. Sure, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. Um, pretty traditional upbringing. Um, for most of my life, I lived with what I refer to as a dragon of self-doubt. So from age 15 to 35, never really felt good enough, even though I was loved and respected by the people around me, my parents, my friends. Um, I didn't necessarily feel all of that love on the inside from myself. And so the way that showed up in my life was overachievement. So just very strong perfectionist tendencies in my family. And I figured that if I could be better and do better at all times, and I could impress enough people, then maybe finally I would be impressed with myself. Mm. And so I lived that way for 20 years and then finally came to the realization that the shit just wasn't working. Yeah, <laughs> you know? we've been I had, I had the external trappings of success. I'd been on the Today Show. I'd been in the New York Times. I was a senior vice president in the advertising industry. Yet I was quite hollow, quite empty, always hustling, working 80 hours a week. And after I had two kids, I was like, I just, you know, I can't do this shit anymore. I can't yeah. work this hard anymore. So that spawned or sparked a two-year pretty intense self-help journey filled with lots of therapy, lots of Oprah episodes, lots of self-help <laughs> books, lots of red wine. And I finally learned to love myself from the inside out so that I no longer require it from the outside world. And now it is the joy of my life to help other women do the same. That's amazing. I can relate to that. I was a working mom. She was a working mom. Lisa was. And I had started, I think it was my third or f three and a half companies. This is my, this was the grand finale for me because I was at my son's flag football and he was about eight years old and I was there, but I was on my phone in a very heated discussion. And I was there and I saw what was going on. But when we got in the car, he turned to me and he said, mom, he goes, are you happy? Oh, and I said, well, yeah, I've got a great life. Of course, I'm happy and I'm doing all these things. And yeah. And I go, are you happy? He goes, well, I'm really happy. He goes, today at practice, I saw you on the phone and you looked really sad. And that was my cue of, okay, this is not worth it. Like, mm -hmm. I got to take a step back and figure out what my priorities are because this eight-year-old, you know, little bundle sees what I'm not even seeing in myself. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of kids. They're very honest. They don't hold back. And, you know, sometimes it takes I, I refer to that as a catalytic moment, like something in your life that like sparks a change or inspires you to, you know, reinvestigate how you're spending your time, your energy and it, asking yourself if you really are happy. And I think so much of the narrative in this country is if you are successful, therefore you should be happy. But I've just... Mm been doing this long enough and interviewing women all over the world. And I know for sure, even from firsthand experience that you can be successful and unhappy at the same time. And it's not often talked about that way. Yeah. Well, or, or, or happiness is not viewed as one of the critical elements of success, right? Sure. Yeah. I yeah. think it's fascinating. You, you talked about the perfectionist in you and how you were, you were vacant on the inside and never being able to fill that happiness for yourself and constantly trying to prove to yourself. I think so many successful women probably could absolutely relate to that statement. And, and if we, I would imagine you've found that out through your studies, I would love to know what the percentage of women you've talked to 
have had that experience and live that perfectionist lifestyle? Uh, yeah, it's it's very, very, very high. I don't know an exact number, but it's I mean, it's in almost every single research group that I do with women. And I think the telltale sign that I hear from women all the time is like, we'll set a goal. Right. So we're a vice president in a company or we want to be the president of the PTA. It doesn't matter. Like we set these, you know, audacious goals we constantly have to be achieving. And then the telltale sign that you have what I refer to as this dragon of self-doubt is when you achieve that goal. You become the vice president that you always wanted to be. And you're proud of yourself for about eight days. Ah. And you're like, good job, Catherine. Way to go. And then on the ninth day, you're like, well, shit, I wonder what happened <laughs> to become a senior vice president, you know, and all of a sudden the vice presidentship that you were running and gunning for and killing yourself for is no longer enough after eight days. And all of a sudden the sights are set it's got to, I got to do more. I got to be more. And in my own life, I have determined that for me, more is a four letter word. Oh, uh, I like that. I yeah. More money. I don't need to have more employees. You know, it's that when you always want more and you're always striving for what you're communicating to your soul is that what you have and who you are is not enough. Yeah. Amen. Amen I, to that. Yeah. You know, I had this exact conversation with my oldest one, who's the one that's going to turn 21. He's about to step in a year or so. He's got his first real, real internship this summer, and then he's going to graduate and go off and do stuff. And we've had this discussion about wealth, because mm-hmm. I think so many kids relate to things and material success and financial success as the goal. And I yeah. said the same thing. I go, you know what? You're going to you're gonna chase this and you're going to try really hard. And nine times out of 10, when you chase something, it's very, very hard to catch it. And two, you're going to be that guy driving home really late on a Friday with a miserable wife at home and your kids who haven't seen you all week to a really nice house and you're going to be exhausted. And please do something that makes you happy. And if you do that and you work real hard, nine times out of 10, you'll find some form of outside success. Yeah, I I agree with that. But I do think that sometimes it's part of the human existence that we have to gather and achieve the things that we don't actually want in order to prove to ourselves that we don't want it or we don't need it. I mean, it's the same way of, you know, all the guys I dated in high school were really bad guys. (laughs) And, you know, my poor parents were like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, and I was like, he's the one. And they were just like, you could do better, (laughs) you know? And, but I had to do it. Like I had to, you know, and thank God I ended up marrying a saint of a man. Uh, But it's almost like I had to experience those bad guys enough times that I was like, oh, this doesn't feel good. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't hear it from my parents. Like, I I mean, I heard it, but I I couldn't heed their advice. Right. Well, let's talk about Slay Like a Mother. So you went on this journey and then that inspired you to put pen to paper and write this incredibly empowering book. Uh, Let's dive into it. 
Yes, I would love to. So Slay Like a Mother is a self-help book, personal empowerment book for women. And it's really for women and mothers of any age. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you have a two-year-old or a 22-year-old. There's still the trials and tribulations and the self-doubt. And the book is really based on what I mentioned earlier, this dragon of self-doubt. And so I talk the reader through how is your dragon of self-doubt born? How does it show up in your life? And then the crux of the book is seven ways that you're feeding this dragon of self-doubt and how to stop. And then interestingly, the way the book ends is how do we raise dragon slayers? You know, how do we teach our sons and our daughters the vocabulary and the vernacular that goes along with self-doubt so that they can be aware of it and, um, For so many women that I work with, they have no idea how much they hate themselves. They have no idea how hard they are on themselves um, until they read this book. And it's like, let's not have our children experience that same fate where they're 40, 50, 60 years old and realizing that they don't even like themselves is, you know. Uh, Yeah. Powerful. Wow. When you say like yourselves, can you delve a little bit more into that? It's like, you know, I understand there's self-doubt and there's elements of not being as confident as we like to be. The self-loathing and talk more about that, because I think sometimes we don't even know how to self-identify that. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know it either. And I'm a huge fan of therapy. I think every human being should have a therapist. You know, we studied math and science and the weather and all these other things, and we don't study ourselves. And that's what therapy can help you do. Um, But, you know, my therapist had me write down during one of our sessions, the last terrible thing that I had said to myself. And I'd never once before she gave me that exercise, thought about the way I spoke to myself, thought about the way I felt about myself. You know, when I was 35 years old. She gave me a couple minutes and I thought, okay, what was the last terrible thing I said to myself? And I wrote down and I quote, you are a poor excuse for a strong woman. So that was the last terrible thing that I said to myself. And there is something about writing it on paper because you can begin to identify it in your mind. But when you write it in your own handwriting, it becomes undeniable. Like those were my words in my handwriting. It wasn't my therapist, wasn't somebody else telling me. And I knew it was true. Then through years of therapy, what I learned about myself was that when I stopped being myself, I stopped liking myself, meaning when I said yes to everybody, when I knew I should be saying no, when I went after certain degrees or certain awards or accolades, you know, that I really didn't want or need or but I was kind of sacrificing my sanity in order to be somebody else, in order to be seen as someone else. And for me, I was able to map that back to, you know, when I stopped being me, I stopped liking me. And um Liking yourself, loving yourself, the relationship with you have you have with yourself is the most important relationship you will ever have. Yeah, I think it's really key that you said I didn't think I ever talked negatively, but then you came up with such a super specific recollection, and I, I think most of us don't realize the 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 negative talk we have going in our brains and how we end up. I think it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because we end up projecting out what negative we're feeling as opposed to hiding it. You know what I'm trying to say? 
A hundred percent. It is absolutely a self-fulfilling prophecy in a couple ways. You know, one is that's very negative energy. When you go yes. to bed at night, you wake up in the morning, you think you're a poor excuse for a strong woman. That's not good mojo. That is just, you know, we attract what we put out is what you're saying from an energetic standpoint. We're all made of energy. But at the same time, what ends up happening is we set these ridiculous expectations for ourselves, right? I have to lose 10 pounds. I have to get a new job. I have to be nice to my partner. I have to go through breast cancer and never miss a beat. And then we fall short of that, obviously, because even Wonder Woman on her best day couldn't do those things all in one day. And then when we fall short, we yell at ourselves for not being better. And then that causes us to raise our expectations even higher. It's like, if I can just be and do more, I'll learn to love myself. But you fall short because the expectations are too high. And then it's this vicious cycle of yelling at yourself, being mean to yourself, and then putting on a mask and not asking for help, telling everybody that you're fine when you're not fine. And, um, but I am living proof that it can stop. You know, I'm not a magician. I'm just a woman from Virginia. I didn't wave a magic wand. You know, I I did the hard work and homework and figured it out. That's a that's a great point. How much is environmentally induced and how much because you know, it isn't that like and I'm, I'll talk from my personal experience. I had a very dysfunctional, I mean, we all have bits of dysfunctionality in our upbringing, right? right. But I had a really unstable household and I felt like it was my, the expectation on me was if I can fix my, if I can do this and I can be successful and I can achieve these things, then I'm going to help fix the problem and the instability that's going on in my household. So I'd be curious as how much environmental stuff creates this, this thing going on mm-hmm. in your head, in your heart. Yeah. So dragons of self-doubt can be born from a lot of different circumstances. And according to my research, 75% of the time, a woman's self-doubt is born during or before adolescence. So Lori, your example is really relevant because you were a child and you were trying to be so perfect so that you could fix the holes in your family and make everybody feel better. And that's very, very common that it occurs, you know, when you're a teenager or younger and um, the initial birth of this dragon can be brought on by what I call trauma with a capital T. I mean, abuse, neglect, sexual assault, horrible things, abandonment. But it also can be brought on by trauma with a little T. You know, mine Mm -hmm. was my first true love broke up with me and it undid me. And that's a very normal circumstance. Um, Well, he was an asshole, just so you know. He was an asshole. (laughs) I definitely upgraded for the record. Yeah, (laughs) haven't we all, hopefully. Yeah. So the, your environment is really important. Um, but here's, what's crazy is I'll have, I'll be doing a session with women and I'll have a woman say my dragon of doubt, self-doubt was born when I was in kindergarten because I was the youngest girl in the class. And I always felt stupid because I was the youngest, the woman right next to her will say, Oh my gosh, my dragon of self-doubt was born when I was in kindergarten because I was the oldest child in the Mm. class. And I felt stupid because I was the oldest. And so that to me says it can be born from almost any circumstance, but it is the way that you internalize the external world. Like those two women had polar opposite experiences, but it both of them gave birth to their dragon. So I would say it's always caused by external circumstances, but it's how we internalize those external circumstances. So as an example, 
I have an older brother. He's three years older than me. And when our parents would discipline us as teenagers for getting in trouble, it cut me to the core. I felt like a horrible person because I was disappointing my parents. My brother would get disciplined the exact same way. And he would be like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. it just that was my brother too. Yeah, mine. <laughs> they judged us equally. They disciplined us equally. And it destroyed me. And my brother, mm-hmm. he literally said to me one day, don't let it ruin your day. And I was like, my day, I'm in therapy <laughs> because it's ruining my life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's also, we have to understand that um, men and women are wired differently and we process external events very differently. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, I was right. just going to say what, let's talk about that dragon and what steps can women do to s- slay it, you know, start to break down those doubts or to fill their cup with truth as opposed to this negative energy. Yeah. The first step is to really investigate how you feel about yourself. And again, especially mothers, we're just workhorses, right? Mm -hmm. We're going from one task to the next. We're checking everything off the to-do list. But, you know, it can be that exercise of the last terrible thing that you said to yourself and writing it down. And if you have to write it down every day, what was it today? Was it my wrinkles? Was it my weight? Was it my relationship with my partner? I yelled at my child because we can't fix what we don't acknowledge. Mm -hmm. And so the first step is really, how do you treat yourself? Do you ask for help? Do you make any time for yourself? Do you yell at yourself all day? So awareness is the the first step and admitting it. And when I say admit it, I mean, not only think it like, oh, I think I'm a poor excuse for a terrible woman, but writing it down. And eventually you have to find the courage to say this shit out loud, whether that is to your therapist, whether it's to your best friend, but to say, I feel this way about myself. If you can start to say that out loud, then you will start to find ways to rectify it. But you can't fix it if you're in denial. Gotcha. Which is a powerful thing, that denial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially when we're so busy. Like, we have so many things to mask our pain, you know? it's. The busyness and the signing up for things and volunteering too much. And so once you slay your dragon of self-doubt, and we'll talk about some tips, but it's like you will make time for yourself. You won't give all your time away to other people. And I think we just numb ourselves, not only with drugs and alcohol, but with activity and busyness. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that, that forces us to not have to face. I think self-awareness. And what you're saying is so key and it's so hard for most of us. And I think that I think it's more about just completely being unself-aware more than it is about denial. Actually, we just are, like you said, so busy and or we just don't stop and reflect and look in. Why am I feeling like this? Why? And we don't have the tools like this Mm -hmm. should be taught. And why Mm -hmm. do we take classes about every single subject under the sun? And it wasn't until I was 35 years old that my therapist was like, how do you feel about yourself? And I was like, what? (laughs) Like it's never. So we don't have the tools. And that's one of the reasons I felt so strongly about writing this book. I mean, I healed myself and I could have just gone about my life, Mm -hmm. you know, as a more Mm -hmm. whole person. But I knew that the tips and tricks and the tools and the language that I could provide in this book would change people's lives. And we just don't have, 
enough of that. And this book was rejected by 23 publishers for four years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there just needs to be more discussion, more dialogue, more tools, more resources um, to help us have these conversations. Because it's not like our parents taught us any of this. No. Well, the other thing, too, I think that factors into this, it's really kind of an amazing dichotomy is as mothers, I think it's really hard for us to show vulnerability, especially to our children. Right. Right. You know, we want them to view us as being perfect and the resource to go to. And I think it's it's hard to admit it. And then I also think sometimes we hide behind our children. You know, we have the Mm -hmm. martyr syndrome. Like, well, this is my job and my life, this is who I am and this is my life. And, you know, to make them happy is what everything I'm supposed to be about. And instead of recognizing, well, I have a self-identity that I'm not addressing or I'm neglect or I'm, I'm neglecting and making excuses for. So I think it's like this, there's a lot of elements when you're a mom to not have to kind of face the music. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, it's so intimidating to be vulnerable with our kids. But what's amazing is once you start doing it, you will see Mm -hmm. the ripple effect. So when I was going through, you know, this journey, I might say to my son at the time, you know, I'm sorry, I yelled at you earlier, I had a really bad day. And I was, you know, sad. And, um, and I was just grumpy, and I didn't mean to take it out on you, you know, and he was like, what? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's that's what they do been yeah. vulnerable and and lo and behold like a month later he's like barking at me about something and then that night you know when he was going to bed he said mom I'm I'm really sorry I fussed at you earlier I was just sad and you know it just came out and I didn't mean it and I was like oh look at that you know mm-hmm. and so it we have to role model for our children what mistakes look like what apologies look like what imperfections look like because you know, in my house, I never saw it. Everything was perfect. Everything was happy. We did not talk about any bad feelings, emotions. That's not healthy, you know? So I think if we can show up as our true selves, then we help our children, you know, do that as well. They don't need you to be perfect. No. Yeah. I've, I've started to make a much bigger. And, and this podcast honestly has helped yeah. us because we're putting ourselves out there to the world. And I think, you know, we've already t- discussed how initially our kids were like, wait, what are you doing? What, like, what are you doing with the podcast? Yeah. And um, we actually did two episodes telling our story because we'd been asked by listeners They, you know, the more people listen, they want to know more about you. And, and, and we kind of went there. I had Barbara Walters here next to me who, <laughs> you know, ma- made me extraordinarily vulnerable, but I have been making a very concerted effort to explain why I'm wired the way I am and why sometimes I can lose it or sometimes I can be overly sensitive or, you know, in some cases unsympathetic because, you know, I went through this and you, you're going to complain about. So I, I think you're right. I think when once you start to go there with your kids, I think they they so appreciate and it leads to a whole nother level of dialogue. Yes. It does. And um, I mentioned earlier, the last chapter in Slay Like a Mother is called Raising Dragon Slayers. And one activity that I suggest to parents there, and this doesn't matter if your child is four or 24, um, but when you're together, you share your peak and your pit from the day. So Mm. the best part of your day and the worst part of the day. And it's so easy. It's so fast. It's free. Yeah. And 
Um, and what it'll show your children is that every day has a high and a low every day, you know, you're not getting out of a day without having a pit, you know, a bad part of your day. And it'll also show them that their mother is not perfect. And their mother has a pit, you know, in her day every day. And I think if we can teach our children to expect that every day is going to have a low point, then they won't be surprised by it. And they won't be like, oh, well, I had a low point in my day. Therefore I must be a loser. And it's like, no, it just means you're alive. Right. But it gives the language and it allows your children to talk about it. And I always say that dragons of self-doubt thrive in silence and darkness and avoidance. And if you can start to talk about the ugly parts of your life, you know, through your pits, it's really powerful. Even again, for you to hear yourself saying it out loud. Yeah. That's like, yeah, no, I agree. And I think that the level of, depth to the relationships you build with your kids through that is is profound. I really do. I've I, I've been starting to to practice a lot of this and just having these conversations of self-awareness with my girls. And I can see the difference. I can feel it. And I can feel our problem resolving working better. Um, yeah. Giving showing them what I want them to do is is, yeah. is it's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. OK, well, Lisa and I kind of went through some of the, we came up with four that we really thought would touch our listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay. That you have, and, and you got to go look that with, there's eight or nine of them, right? That of tips on how to slay. Yeah. yeah. But we came up with four and if we can kind of like go there a little bit, the first one is reducing negative self-talk. We've talked a little bit about that. But I'll give you a a quick tip on this one. So um, the first thing to know is that you're never going to completely get rid of it. So don't make that your goal. Don't make your goal that you're going to walk through life, you know, dancing on, you know, rose petals and things. (laughs) Or not. You're going to have negative thoughts every day, but you can teach the mean voice in your head some manners. And I will give you an example. So not too long ago, when I started traveling again, I went to hotel gym and um, I rode the exercise bike. And when I was done, I was resting my hands kind of on the top of my backside and I grabbed what felt like two handfuls of cellulite. And so the negative voice in my head said, what must that look like? You know, I'm looking around like, they see my cellulite. So the negative voice said, what must that look like? So first of all, I heard it because for 20 years of my life, I never heard the voice. I just had it. And then second of all, I taught it some manners. And I said, what this looks like is that I got my ass out of bed and put it on a bike. That's what this looks like. And so that's what I mean about teaching it some manners is that you're going to hear it. But you have the final say and you get to decide whether you are a loser because you have cellulite or because you are a champion for getting up and exercising, you know. And so you might have to in the beginning do that 20 times a day. I have to do it less frequently now because I've slayed this dragon of self-doubt, but it still comes back. But just teach it some manners. Have the final word. Oh, I like that. Have the final word. That's powerful. And I like the manners. We all could use better manners, right? Well, yeah, because I, I, I always throw in a cuss word at myself, yeah. you know, so yeah. maybe telling myself I don't yeah. have to my, put an exclamation point on my self-talk. Yeah, you know, mine's <laughs> asshole, but yeah. Okay, next one. All right. Uh, saying no, setting boundaries. Let's talk about that. Okay. 
So um, I first want to talk about this on a philosophical level. So if you have no time for yourself, you probably think it's because you have a hard time saying no to other people. That's what you Mm -hmm. believe. But the truth is you don't have a hard time saying no to other people. You have a hard time saying yes to yourself. You have a hard time prioritizing Uh yourself over other people. So, you know, the teacher needs you, your partner needs you, your children need you. And you're just like, yes, 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 yes. Because subconsciously you do not believe that your time should be protected for you. You believe it should be given away to other people. And so the easiest way to combat this is to put yourself on your calendar, because we all know if it's not on the calendar, it's not real, it doesn't exist. So the key here is to fast forward like three weeks, because tomorrow your calendar is already shit. Like it's already full. (laughs) There's no way you're fitting on your calendar tomorrow. But three weeks from now, there's more real estate because it hasn't been, been filled up yet. And so start to put reoccurring meetings, keyword reoccurring, for things that replenish you. So as an example, it could be every Tuesday morning, I'm going to walk for an hour in my neighborhood from 8 to 9 a.m. Every other Thursday, I'm going to have tequila with my girlfriends. It doesn't have to be healthy, (laughs) Um, but it's reoccurring because it takes a lot of courage to put ourselves first. It takes a lot of courage to prioritize ourselves. Mm -hmm. But if you do it every Tuesday morning for the rest of the year, you only have to get the courage up one time to put it on your calendar. And then every Tuesday it's there. And then inevitably, even if you work outside the home, somebody will say, Hey, Catherine, can we have a meeting at eight 30 on Tuesday? And I go, um, no, but I can do it at nine 30. And what do they say? Okay. Okay. People don't care about you as much as you think they care about you. And (laughs) you can still fit this stuff in, but put the big rocks in the jar first. And I even to this day, color code these meetings in dark purple because it is a symbol of, I call it my mojo time, but it's a symbol of I'm protecting that time for myself. And it's a visual cue that if I show up to a certain week on my calendar and there's not enough dark purple, there's something wrong. Yeah. I like that. That's great. Yeah. What color would you be? I'd be like hot pink, fire red. Okay. Yeah. This kind of fitting you into your life kind of falls, I think, falls into the same thing. So let's skip to asking for help, because I think this is a big one. Yeah, we have a really hard time asking for help. We think we should just have life figured out, which is insane because, you know, I have two teenagers they are 12 and 14. And sometimes I'm tempted to not ask for help because I've been a mother for 14 years and I should have this figured out. But the first thing I do is remind myself that yes, Catherine, you've been a mother for 14 years, but you've been a mother to a 14 year old for a matter of days. And parenting a teenager has nothing to do with parenting a young child has nothing to do with parenting an adult child, you know? And so We have to remind ourselves that every phase of motherhood, every season is new and different and we are rookies. And so (laughs) why wouldn't I ask for help? I've never been the mother of teenagers before. So that's just on a, a philosophical level. But what I find easiest for women is to ask for help in bulk. Meaning don't just say, Hey, you know, if you, if you are partnered in a relationship, you know, Hey honey, Um, I'm really run down this Tuesday night. Could you pick up all the kids and could you take care of dinner? Cause I'm, you know, exhausted. Uh That's asking for help one time versus going to your partner or to a child or whoever and saying, can you do this every Tuesday night? 
every Tuesday night, can you be responsible for dinner so that I don't have to do it? Or can you be responsible for making the kids lunches? Or can you buy all the graduation presents? So it's, it's about asking for help in bulk. It's, it goes back to mm. getting up the courage, you know, where it's hard to ask for help, but do it, you know, for the next eight weeks can, can somebody help you do something every Tuesday night or a specific task that they can, you know, take on for you. And then another thing that mothers are terrible at is getting help from their own children. Yeah. You know? Oh, like, for sure. Do your own laundry and help make dinner. And, you know, like my husband and I both work and I think it is absolutely ridiculous that the narrative in this country and our culture is that I should be the one who's cooking. That makes no sense to me. I'm not better equipped than my husband or my teenage children to make food, you know, and so (laughs) questioning some of those narratives and those stereotypes. And, you know, I don't wash my kids laundry. I don't empty the dishwasher. Like there's just certain tasks that I've said, and I don't care if you wear dirty clothes. I could care less if your clothes are dirty. (laughs) I love that. It's great that you say this because I have stopped doing certain things because I feel like, okay, you've come back from college. You know how to cook your own food. Yeah. Why interrupt what I'm doing to, but I've been starting to throw things back at them because Mm -hmm. before I get resentful and I'll I'll give an example, I wake up every morning to feed the goddamn dogs. 630. Mm -hmm. If I don't feed them by 630, God knows what's going to happen. And I started to get a little resentful. Like, why is this my job every day? And so I made a trade-off. I said to my husband and I said to my boys, I go, I'm going to do this because I'm up anyway, but you have to do these things. Yes. And yeah. so my husband says he does the dishes and my other son is, I've given him some tasks. And you know what? Actually, I think they, they appreciated it. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. instead of you like, you know, bitching yeah. under, yeah. under your breath yeah. about, I, I was up, I had to feed the dogs again. Yeah. yeah. Is, is now we have kind of a trade-off that's, we, I bargained with them. Yeah, it's a bartering system. I mean, (laughs) they're all able-bodied. There's a great book on this topic called Fair Life by Eve Rodsky. And it literally lists out in this book, like the 52 kind of household responsibilities. I mean, it's pretty extensive. There's only 52? (laughs) (laughs) But like, it, it even comes like in a deck of cards. And it's like, who is going to be responsible for the birthday presents? Who is going to be responsible for the dishes? Who, you know, and it's yeah. like you're sitting around the table as able-bodied, you know, human beings instead of just assuming that mom's going to do it or to your point, point Lori, of like being so resentful about it. Like, yeah, yeah. We actually have the opposite in our house. My husband gets resentful because he does all the chores. He does a lot of the chores. I do chores. He likes to do them. So I don't have that problem well, as much. Well, I mean, let's go there. It, so isn't it part of it because of control? Like oh, as, as, as moms, like, right, we're going to, like, oh, yeah. I do that with my kids all the time. Like, well, I'm going to go get the corsage for prom because I don't, I, I'm going to yeah. control the way it looks, yeah. right? Yes, I know what you mean. Yes. Even yeah, though I don't have time great- to do it. Yeah. There's a great article that was in the Washington Post and it's called The Gatekeeping Mom. And it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to make all the lunches because if my partner does it, they're going to suck at it. And, <laughs> you know, the kids are going to eat Pop-Tarts every day. And, you know, it's like yes. this kind of fear base and it's control. But what they say is like the women are dying under the weight of being a control freak because yeah. then mm-hmm. they have to do everything and they want to take it on. 
you know, and Lisa, I'm like you, my husband um, does more than I do. Mm -hmm. And, but it's because he's a control freak and he knows that if I do it, it's going to be messed up. And so it is is control. I'm the control freak. Yeah. yeah, You know, I mean, I think we all, you have to have one of those in in the house between the two of you. Yeah. Right. But I will say to that, Catherine, um, I am a control freak about certain things and it drives him crazy because he'll say, you care so much about some little detail for this birthday party or that thing or this thing, but you don't give a shit if the laundry's piling up or all the dishes or whatever. And so it's just a different priority on control, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. yeah, we all have our, we all have our things. Yeah. So. Okay. You did something and Lisa and I've watched it in loop on on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You have to go watch this because it one, it brought me kind of to tears. And two, mm-hmm. I think it's something that we all need to do. You know, like grab a glass of wine with your girlfriends and do this, right? And just mm-hmm. I think, you know, so we're gonna do that today with Catherine. And how how do you wanna how do you want to say, well, like we've written down our, the things that play yeah, in our I head. Love that. That's, um, so for, for anybody that's listening, you can go to slaylikeamother.com and right there on the homepage is the video that we're talking about. And it's about slaying the mean voice in your head. But first of all, it's about identifying. So I would love to hear from you all um, what you wrote down from the video, meaning what was the last terrible thing that you said to yourself? And you can either share specifics or if there was like a theme that you, you know, uncovered from mm-hmm. your negative self-talk. First and foremost, and we talked about it before we hit record, this was really hard for me. I spent a good amount of time because I think I'm a very environmentally driven person is what I've discovered through this exercise. So thank you for that, is that it's not necessarily things I think I would normally say to myself, but it's things that I take that I hear from my children or my husband or maybe friends, and then I manifest self in my head. And that's when I start to self-doubt or feel negative about myself. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting yep. exercise. So I do have a couple and you, you do too, Same. right? Yeah. I don't know if I, I had a hard time thinking about, oh, I just feel negatively about myself. Mine tends to be, I'll berate myself after a situation. Mm-hmm. And then that, if I dig deeper, is probably connected to a deeper insecurity that I have, if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So my negative talk is usually... I mean, the first thing is like, shut the fuck up. That is exactly what I'll say to myself. It's like, Lisa, shut the fuck up. You just overtalked. You are annoying. Shut the fuck up. That is how, that's how I talk to myself sometimes in my head. And so it's not necessarily, you know, something physical or something, but it's, it's usually after a situation and then I berate myself. And it's interesting what you're saying, Lisa, because can you imagine saying that to another human being? Right. That's like, right. Yeah. No. no. Like, I mean, even the tone that you're yes. saying is like the undertone is you're an idiot. Yes. What you're saying doesn't matter. Yes. You know, be quiet. You're you know. annoying. You're, yeah. 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 Which you would, it's so interesting. I talk about this in the book of how, like, if we took the mean voice in our head and we extracted it from our head and we turned it into a human being that walked around beside us all day and said out loud, what we say to ourselves, like we wouldn't make it to lunchtime. Right. Like, can you imagine if somebody followed you around and told you to shut the fuck up like all day? Mm-hmm. And that's where the awareness comes in is so powerful because if we don't know that's that does eat us up, mm-hmm. you know, if we're not 
aware of it. And it sounds like for both of you that it's triggered by external circumstances. Like your daughter says something or your husband says something, or you're in a discussion with somebody else. It's kind of fueled by the outside world, which is very, very common, you know, the, the, well, yeah. You know, mine is kind of similar, actually, Lisa, that I that I said over and over. And mine is, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Wish, God, why did I do that? Why did I? And I think if I peel back the layers of that, it's I tend to lead more with my heart. The intentions are good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it doesn't always land well with others. <laughs> But, you know, the intentions are good and I lead with my heart and I, instead of beating myself up about why I did it, because I did it for good reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe, maybe my kids didn't appreciate, you know, whatever it was or the husband or, or or a friend, I think collectively, that was my thing is that, you know, I I do say that a lot in my head. Why, 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 why did you go and do that? Yeah. So um, I have a good mantra for you, Lori, and it is um, accept and then act like accept that you already did it. Mm, you, mm-hmm. you said what you said, you did what you did, whatever the circumstances like accept that you don't have to like it, but you accept it. And then you act, meaning, do you want to apologize? Do you not want to apologize? Do you just want to move on? But we spend so much time ruminating, mm-hmm. wishing that we had done something differently, but you cannot change it. It is too late. And so stewing and spinning and yelling at yourself for not handling the situation differently is not helpful Mm -hmm. to you, to anybody else. It's that negative energy. It's wasted energy versus except I did this thing. And now, now what? And now what can just be like, move on, you Mm -hmm. know, or it can be, you know what? I don't think I handled that. Well, let me go back and apologize, you know, to the person and be vulnerable, but it's, you know, the time we spend stewing, trying to change the past, whether it was 20 years ago Mm -hmm. or 20 seconds ago is fruitless. Yeah. Okay. I think, you know, I want to go here and this, and we'll end on on this one. Okay. I I think this is for all of us because we talk a lot about, I think we, especially 10 times five, 10 times fours, 10 times sixes, we fucking beat the shit out of ourselves about the way we look aging and it's oh yeah you know i just spoke with a friend this morning who's considering you know plastics options and you know talking with her and i'm like you know there comes a point where you have to look at yourself and just say god this is just the wear and tear of my life you know there's some things fix it make you feel better but don't you think we do that with ourselves written on my card i i wrote you know as i age i hate certain parts of my body but I'm, I am undisciplined and lazy and weak and don't make any changes. Why am I so undisciplined? Like that's the beat up negative talk I say to myself is, you know, what will fix it and you're not fixing it. You're lazy and weak. So that's my self-talk, a negative yeah. dragon, oh. if you will. Yeah. yeah, that's so, that's really good. That's very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the aging thing in particular is interesting and it's like, you know, we all have moments like there's something about when I look down at my phone and I see the reflection, like it's like all the wrinkles like are just like all like my, like I, I used to have dimples and now they just turned into just straight wrinkles, you know, <laughs> it's like certain lights. And don't you find yourself where you're like, ah! oh, yeah. you know, 
it looks like you've aged 10 years and 10 minutes, you know, like where did, where did those mm-hmm. come from? And so if we do see the negative, I think there's other times where it's like, I don't know, I'll be driving down the road and like the wind is in my hair and there's no wrinkles then, you know, and <laughs> I, I kind of make note of that, you know, it's like, if yeah. I can see the, the good, then can at least, and it's hard to, I mean, if I can see the bad and it's hard to not see the bad, can I just try to balance it with every once in a while? There's a moment that I'm like, I don't see any wrinkles on this face, you know, and they're there, but I just don't happen to see, (laughs) you know, in that moment. And then two, just the acceptance that, you know, it's why would we expect to not have wrinkles? Like, why would we expect for our bodies not to change when we go through menopause? Why would we expect to be different than the human existence. So mm-hmm. I think it's like, we think that we're the only one and we shouldn't have wrinkles. We shouldn't be overweight, but it's like, it's just part of the human existence. And I'm yeah. not saying, look, fix it. If you want to fix it, don't fix it. If you don't want to, that's your prerogative, but to expect that it shouldn't be there. Right. Irrational. Yeah. Irrational. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, I have wrinkles because I've been alive for almost five decades. Like, right. Yeah. I think I was getting away without it. <laughs> like, right. Damn it. I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Reality. Well, now you guys know what's going on yeah. in my head. Well, good. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not surprised by that. And yeah. I don't think you're surprised with, you know. Okay. Where do people find you in all your facets? I mean, yes. you've got a plethora of websites and you've got your books. So let's lay it out for the listeners. Yeah, I think that the easiest thing is to um, follow Slay Like a Mother. We're on Facebook, Instagram. You can go to slaylikeamother.com. On slaylikeamother.com, you can sign up. We send out a biweekly newsletter where I send out a blog post every two weeks, first thing Monday morning to say, here's something that you can slay, you know, this week because it is a practice. You know, we need reminders and we need the language and the tools. And so that's my way of helping people along on their journey. Excellent. Love it. All right. Love it. All right. So you ready to be put in the hot seat? Please. Okay. So I thought this would be really fun. One of my diabolical ideas. Um, I never know what she's going to do. Yeah, these are blind questions. (laughs) This is my doing, and we call it Lowe's Lightning Round. So what I thought would be really fun is working mom mishaps. So these are real things that Low Jabs has done as a working mom. That's me. And I want you guys to say, been there? Or haven't been there, but relatable, or I'm horrified. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And I'm going to give a little one of these. Okay. (laughs) All right. Here we go. First one. Got the days mixed up for school and sent my first grader as the only kid in pajamas. Been there. Oh. Been there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I got one. Yeah. Okay. Lost track of time. There was some event or picture associated with school. So you decided to give your kid a home haircut <laughs> and and totally oh. screwed it up. Oh, I took my half my, I've really been there. I took my daughter's uh, eyebrow half off. Oh, Whoopsie. yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm going with relatable because I never personally cut my daughter's hair, but I took her to this really cheap place like the night before the first day of school. They totally butchered and like destroyed her hair. It's awful. And then then they, God, they really hate you for it. Yeah. Okay. A lunch, a major lunch mix up. 
Like you're in a hurry, you're putting things in the lunch sack and you mess it up when you put something you wish you hadn't in there. Mm, I've, I've not done that, that I can think of. <laughs> okay, you know what I did? Mm. I wanted to put like this little, like a, a can of like one of their favorite fruit punches deals and I accidentally put like a IPA in there. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Good day for them. Yeah. yeah. They're like, I what did, is this? I did that. It was mm. awful. Okay, so never cans. Okay. It was your day for carpool and you completely forgot and you left the kids hanging at the school. <laughs> oh, for sure. That's happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, relatable. I've forgotten to pick kids in the neighborhood up before. Mm-hmm. All right, sweet. All right, so what we like to do is end on a little song. Okay. And so we thought that this one would be fantastic. It's it's a classic. Yep. Commodore's Easy. And we're going to serenade you. And you Ms. can Kathy. sing along. You can sing along, but, you know, you can just watch us make asses of ourselves because that's what people like to do normally. Okay. Let me, let me fire this up. Okay. So a little Lionel Richie. That's why I'm easy. You ready? I'm ready. Why in the world would anybody put chains on me? Can't hear it. I paid my dues to make it. (laughs) Everybody wants me to be what they want me to be. Okay, here we go. I'm not not happy when I try to fake it. No. Ooh, it's why I'm easy. Ah, he's so good, man. I love him. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Oh, good one. Yeah. yeah. But it take it on the road. It's why I'm easy. I'm easy like Sunday morning. <laughs> that was fun. All right, Catherine. All right. Thank you so much. I, I could talk to you for hours. I know, right? I think uh, I think you just nailed everything that our listeners are feeling and thinking, and I hope everyone goes out and slays like a mother and takes in your information because it's it's a, it's great. Yes. Thank you for sharing with thank us today. Thank you so much, and thank, thank you for you the person. Yeah, the personal counseling session. Yes. I feel like I, I know. <laughs> Woo-hoo. It helps. All right, let's all be easy like Sunday morning. All thank right, you for let's listening. Do it. Hey, gang, make sure you're following us on Instagram so you can see the latest content on our guests and our fun episode moments. That's she's a 10 times five T-I-M-E-S and then the numeric 10 and five. And also come check us out on Patreon at she's a 10 times five. Every week we do a session called gossip. Get it? Take a sip of something special, a splash of something that you like, and come join us for current affairs, a little controversial stuff that we like to talk about. And also, we'll rehash the guest of the week and the topic. And it's a whole lot of fun and a way to engage. Yes. And wherever you're listening, don't forget to hit subscribe and share with friends. And really, let us know what you think by shooting us a comment. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Instagram at she's a 10 times five. Click on the link in our bio to listen. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to hit subscribe.